The early church used creeds to spread the gospel and truths of God. In this series, we'll be exploring the Apostles' Creed through Scripture to learn why we believe what we believe. For more information, visit us online at lifepointpeople.com. Last week, we, uh, we took a slight detour of the Apostles' Creed, and we're back, we're back at it this week, uh, studying the statement, He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Before I get to that, though, it was really fascinating. I heard a lot from you about last week, about our decision that we'll be taking communion every week going forward as a church, remembering the body and blood of Christ every week. Uh, I, I took some time to explain why it was so refreshing to see people come to the front and say, Lord, I need to get right with you before I observe this, and to see how real it became in both of our services here. And so I, I've heard a lot of feedback from people all week, and it was really fascinating because you, you never know where it really hits. And I don't just mean with, with you and, and the congregation of, of LifePoint, but I mean, where does it fit in the spiritual realm? Like, did, did we wake anybody up? Did, did we make anybody upset that we were going to take something and we were going to observe it with reverence and respect and we were going to get right our own souls? I can tell you, it sure did. And I had words from people like, uh, Pastor, I believe there's an attack on the church. I believe there's an attack coming. I believe all of this is coming. And I can tell you, it came. It's here. I felt it this week. felt it in my own spirit. felt it with the church. And it was so funny because I didn't recognize it at first. At first, it just seemed like, oh, man, what are we going to do? And then it got more troubling. And as I spent time in prayer on it, I realized this, we woke somebody up with that. Like, as a church, we woke the enemy up to say, what is going on here? And so, there's this sort of feeling, right, flight or fight, where you're like, do I back off or do I advance forward? And so as I prayed about it, clearly the Lord said, keep advancing. So I want to do something right here before we kick into this, and uh, it might be weird, I've never seen it done at the church, at the beginning of church. But I felt like God said, in one of these services, there's somebody in here who wants to give their life to Christ. And rather than wait till the end and go through the whole service and wait till communion, I want to just invite you that if you want to give your life to Christ right now, you've never given your life to Him, just stand up with God. It's bold and it's scary and it's free. Two songs 
Spirit, you promised. I want you to go and pray with Mary. And then I want to take your test. What, what is your name? Laurie Hansen. And I, I can't find access to his name because I don't want him to know what my name is. So, Mary, would you pray with me? She was Christ's Lord. Thank you. I knew there was something. I knew there was something.
Another quote I gave you guys. 56 to 120 AD, so obviously really close to the time of Christ's death, resurrection, uh, and uh, ascension into heaven. This is what Tacitus writes. He was known for his analysis and examination of historical documents and is among the most trusted of ancient historians. He was a senator under Emperor Vespasian and was also pro-council of Asia. So this is what he was. That's who he was. In his annals of... No, not there yet. 16 AD, he describes Emperor Nero's response to the great fire in Rome and Nero's claim that the Christians were to blame. This is what he writes. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero has fashioned the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate, and the most mischievous superstition thus checked for the moment again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. This is an external account of Jesus Christ's death under Pontius Pilate's command. You see, we often look at scriptures being bound in this, this role of religion and that it didn't exist outside in the resurrection. We question, did Jesus really die on the cross? Is he really this man? Did all those stories about the Jewish priest bringing him before uh, uh, before Pilate, all of that, did that really exist? It absolutely existed, but what I want to talk about this morning I want to move past that, because that's only reason, that only stays in our knowledge, it doesn't move into our hearts. I want to talk about the two important things occurring in his death. The first is this, Jesus' death reconciles us to God, amen? Without it, there is no reason to have religion or the scripture. His resurrection, which we're going to talk about in a bit, is where we see he conquers death, he conquers what we deserve. But the second thing it does, first is it reconciles us to God. Secondly, it creates a covenant community of faith that is both local, what we see here this morning, and universal. I'm going to explain that one, and I think that one's going to blow, blow you away this morning. It creates a covenant community of faith, both locally and universally. So here we're going to be in John 18, John 18, verse 28 through 19. Verse 16. It's a bit of scripture, so I'm going to read it here. I'll have it before my encourage you. Pull out the Bible, grab it, feel it, smell it, and taste it if you're so inclined. It's your world. But pull it out, know that uh, what I'm saying here, you can read. I've got an ESV version I'm using because it reads well from the stage, and I love its accuracy and translation. But if you pull out one of those Bibles, it'll be in there. Pretty close. Here we go. John 18, 28, Jesus before Pilate. Then they laid Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. In the early morning, they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat at the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. I would like that for an answer. Like, why'd we bring this guy in? Look, if he wasn't bad news, we wouldn't have brought him in. Just to take him, okay? Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said, 
uh, to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. Look, what have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting for me, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Now that started to happen then. Remember when they came to get him, Peter pulled out his sword, cut the priest's teeth off, and Jesus said, Peter, no, stop. He put the guy's ear and put it back on. At that point, if you were one of the priests, were you like, uh, we might have the wrong guy. We <laughs> probably shouldn't crucify this guy. I can tell you that, because my ear is back on my head. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king, Jesus answered. You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into this world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice, and then Pilate asks him the theological question of all questions, what is truth? After Pilate said this, he went back outside to the Jews and tells them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man through the Passover. So you, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber, and we know from the other Gospels, a murderer as well. So they were willing to release the robber murderer Barabbas, and not the king of the Jews. Verse 19, I mean chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Now this is so difficult, because if you grew up in church, that one little sentence, you pass over it so quickly, don't you? And I, I, I kind of wish the writer, I kind of wish uh, John would have been a little bit more descriptive then. And some of the other ones are. And the reason they're really not is because it is such a heinous, despicable, disgusting thing what they did that he just sort of boots past it. But in that verse, in which chapter 19 starts out, they took Jesus and flogged him, means they took him, ripped his clothes off, and beat his back with the cat of nine tails until there was no skin left on it. And then they took a crown of thorns, weaved it together, and jammed it into his skull. The Bible would be really interesting if it said it like that, right? <laughs> so the soldiers took the crown of thorns, put it on his head, and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hell, king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know I find no guilt in him. I find no guilt in him. I had no problem being here to within an inch of his life, but I find no guilt. So Jesus came out, beaten with bloody crown of thorns in the world. Pilate said to them, Hold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. For I found no guilt in him, Jesus. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself a son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, so he entered his quarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? Jesus gave him an answer. So Pilate said, 
Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority over you? That unless uh, I have the authority to release you or the authority to crucify you, and Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. He said, look, buddy, I'm here because I want to be here. I'm here because I've allowed it to happen. So slow your roll on the amount of authority you think you have on me. Jesus then said, therefore, I will deliver me to you as it is. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. Pilate is freaked out by this time. He wants nothing to do with this guy. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar's. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone of Pavement in Aramaic Kabbalah. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to the Jews. Suffer your Suffer. And see crucifixion. If you've been in the church for a while, you understand is the absolute most horrendous way we as humans can think to To go through everything he went through prior to that, the beatings, the crown of thorns, being in a place where he could not carry his own cross even, which they made him do. We understand that his suffering was great. His suffering was incredible. And yet we do not actually hear him cry out to the Father, why art thou forsaking me, until what we feel is God has removed his spirit from him somehow. That God's presence, that he fully recognizes what's about to happen. He's known it, it's been a part of the plan since the beginning, but now it's happening to him. And as he's sitting there on the cross, and you have to push up on your feet, which the nails have been driven through in order to get here, because you essentially drown in your own blood, I hope the word suffered will suffice for you of what he did on the cross. And here's the first thing that suffering is. Is it reconciling us back to God? It brings us back to Eden. It brings us back to a place that God had planned for us before sin entered the equation. It brings us back to a place where we are no longer, Scripture calls us, enemies of God. That's a tough word, an enemy of God. Is it difficult for you to think of yourself as an enemy of God? Pilate sure did not want to be an enemy of God. He didn't really do a whole lot to stop it. He gave some, he feigned some attempts to try to get the Jews to back out. At the end of the day, he was more concerned about his name, his emotion, his personal safety, wasn't he? You and I are enemies of God. The Bible tells us there are none righteous, no, not one. And we often compare ourselves to others to be okay with our level of enemy. Okay? Like, I might be an enemy of God, but I'm not as bad as a murderer sitting and sitting in prison. I might be an enemy of God, but I'm not as bad as the adulterer cheating. Let me ask you a question. Do you lie? You ever lie? 
You know what I ever found as a pastor? You all lie all the time. <laughs> you do this, I'm going to. That's a lie. <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel, I think, just did the thing, Light Witness News, where it was Super Tuesday in there in California. They didn't show up on Super Tuesday, but because it was Super Tuesday, they went out to the streets and they asked, Who'd you vote for? And everybody says who they voted for. And they asked, How was the polling place? And you just watch people. Oh, it was super busy, you know, crazy crowded. And uh, then they ask questions like, What do you think about the new link to vote system? Twice for Trump. You know, and they're like, it was weird, but I did it. And, and you just kept going down the rabbit trail. And you're going, oh, it's so embarrassing for them. And yet, if we can all be caught in the little life we do every day, I, I wanted to take your call when I was super busy. And by super busy, I meant. We are enemies of God. Have you ever coveted? Have you ever looked at your neighbor's car and said, I am born to spell? <laughs> she doesn't deserve to have such beauty. Give it to me. It's a righteous prayer. Have you ever coveted? Have you ever lied? Have you ever hated? If you even done it once, you were you an enemy of a righteous God. You're an enemy of Yeshua who went to the cross and took all of that for you to reconcile you back to him because he loves you that much. But until you recognize, like Lori did today, that I am an enemy of God in my current state, until you come to grips with that, you will always be at a place where you are trying to be good enough or do enough good for other people or just live a close enough to good life and you will always remain an enemy. Will be no different than those who condemn Christ to his Common accusation against Christ, though, this is the good news for you right now, because he was a friend of sinners, right? He was a friend of sinners. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Anybody else in Sunday school? I'm assuming you might think I'm going to be my This Christian stuff is weird. Matthew the tax collector. So Zacchaeus and Matthew were tax collectors. And remember, I think I've talked about this in the past, but the tax collector isn't like the tax collectors today where we're just like, oh, I hate taxes. These guys traded out their own people. They basically were supposed to collect 20, they collected 50. They would rape and pillage places to get what they wanted. And they were despicable people. And he just said, yeah, I'll sit down I'll eat at his house. I'll make that one my disciple. He sit down with the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman who was on her, who had had five husbands, the man she was living with, it was more like just a, uh, a, a sex for rent type thing they had going on. Jesus says, those were my friends. And then he found Saul of Tarsus, who was a modern day ISIS, going around killing, torturing Christians just for being. He said, he's my friend. It's all throughout scripture. With Libyan jailer. He was a Roman soldier. He was older. Now he's a jailer. It says he put Paul in stocks, but he didn't need to, so he's torturing Paul. Yeah, he got saved. He was reconciled. 
You can be an enemy of God without religion or with religion. You cannot fake your way to something. You see, without religion, we'll use everything else to try to be good. We'll use the karma signal. We'll donate to the Feed My Starving Children when the Sarah McLaughlin comes on. We'll do all of this stuff to be good. And then we'll use religion to do it by saying, well, I've got Sunday school and I've got small group and i got my church clothes that I put on. And we'll find other ways that are telling you that God sees through that, that he did suffer and die on the cross so you can be dressed up and look good on Sunday. He did it so you can go out and love others more than you love yourself. He did it so that we could change the world as a people by being his body and he would be the head. Death of Jesus purchases the church. First Peter two ten. Once you were not a people. This is this is gonna be fun. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. This is the thing with Christianity. It is not Russian. It is not Jewish. It is not American. It is not Italian. It is not Chinese. It is nothing like that. Peter says, once you were not a people, you did not exist as a people, and now you are. Because once you had not experienced mercy, but now you have. Let me show you. Ready? You've got to participate in this for it to work. Here we go. It's a small survey. When did you become a Christian? If you became a Christian by the age of 10, raise your hand. If you became a Christian by the age of 20, raise your hand. Raise it high. By the age of 30. You became a Christian at the age of 40. You became a Christian at the age of 50. You became a Christian at the age of 60. Age of 70? 80? Alright, we got to 60 here. Good. Next question. You grew up, and, and just don't worry about this, don't go back, but I need to know. Did you grow up with means? Mom and Dad had money. If you grew up with means, raise your hand. It's okay, don't go back, I'll get that money. If you just say no, not me, raise your hand. Alright, we're sitting at that other book. That's I have my memories on the note part. Okay, did you grow up in a Christian home? I'm gonna talk about Jesus took you to church. Raise your hand. You did not grow up in a Christian home, huh? That's not what you heard about so many times. Okay, awesome. Last one, last one. You struggle with addiction. If you struggle with addictions in the past, you currently struggle with them, it could be anything, any type of addiction, you say, yeah, I struggle with addictions. And then you just say, no, not me. So, awesome. You see what we just did? What kind of crazy group in just these 300 some odd people do we have there? People like to say a certain type of person becomes a Christian. Yeah, right. We've got everything from those who, who, who uh, came to Christ in their 60s to those who came to him when they were 10. Those who grew up with money to those who don't have any money. Those who grew up in a Christian household to those who did. There is not a type of person. The only type of person that you can classify is someone who has humbled their will to that of God's will. And said, Lord, I repent of my sin. And that is the people we are talking there once was no people, and now there is. And this is where, as in the beginning, we connect locally and globally to one covenant community. 
you know you can go to Africa. So Duncan and the new world And I can see my brother and we can rejoice because we both know Jesus Christ. Because we know that he was crucified and dead and his buried the other part of him. What can make us a Only the blood of Christ. In closing, I want to bring the man back out. We're taking communion here in a second. And so, uh, I invite the ushers to grab a communion and begin passing it out. And just take that cup, hang on to it, take the two cups, hang on to it. We're going to take it together and talk about Corinthians. And I want to exalt, exhort you again that if you feel that you are not right with the Lord. If you feel you are not right with your spouse or your child or a friend, let it pass by. Just let it pass by. Have the courage to pass by. Do not drink the condemnation or eat the condemnation of the Lord's mind. Uh, and then just come to the front. It'll be up here in the front at the end. And you get right with the Lord and then take communion. Okay? Go ahead. Let's just come forward and get past it out. Father, pass it out. I want to say this. The other thing the Lord gave me, I knew that I needed. I knew someone wanted to give their life to him this morning and wanted to do that at the beginning of the service. The second thing was this. I've been thinking about it all week, praying about it. And then the Lord got to confirm it in my heart. It's going to be tough. If we're going to be a changed people, we're going to be a people that become the head of culture and not the tell. We have to do something radically. We can't just hold church. We can't just not have sex before marriage. We can't just not smoke or drink or all these things that for the last 60, 70, 80 years in our country, it seems like that is what it means to be a Christian. Donate to the poor, go to church, we'll, wear nice clothes on Sunday, and then don't do these certain sins. Would you agree? Would you agree that's how Christianity has sort of been built in your mind? Or how you've seen it? You've heard me say that that's not how the church grew. That's not how emperors came to their knees and accepted the Lord. That's not how uh, Christianity spread throughout the world like wildfire. It spread because Christians were radically different. And it came through a spirit of love. It came through a spirit of stepping out in faith that God would be their savior, that God would exonerate them, that God would be their comfort in the time of need. So they brought in the orphan and the widow, and they brought in the sick and the disease, and they loved those with disabilities. And I can tell you folks that as I have been praying on this and the Lord has been working in my heart, I feel that here in Santana Valley, here in Queen Village, the Southeast uh, greater Phoenix area, that if we want to do that one thing, if you want to be part of something, that is going to wake the world up and say, what is going on? Tell me. It's too fostering. I'm not asking. I'm not saying this is our thing. I'm telling you that right now, 16,000 children just in Arizona in the system. You know how many churches we have in Arizona? You know how many Christians attend those churches in Arizona? 
more than 1.5 million chess members. You want to wake the world up? You want to shock the world? You want to, you want to get the country to take notice? What if the Christian community got together and said, we'll take care of the posture. We'll bring them into our home. And if I can't be an adopted parent, we'll bring them into our home until we get my home. If I can't be an adopted grandparent, we'll bring them into our home until we get my home. You know, I knew this was on my heart. I knew God had been doing something in my heart since I was about 15 years old with it. And it did not come true until my wife and I did not come fully true, I guess, until Friday morning when we went and we got to see the two little girls that were going to be about. And we got to play with them and the How much food can change? How comfortable are you willing to get? What if God asked you to watch a kid for a year and he was real good at home? What if God asked you to be a foster parent to a 15 or 16 year old kid? Leave your mom and dad to love him and be with him. Will you step up to it? Christ took that communion. When he took the bread, he He said, This is my body broken for you. He was wanting us to remember everything he did in the short three years of ministry. Remember how I love you. Remember how I love the Lord. Remember how I love each of you. So he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it. The same way he took the cup. He said, This is my blood. Sit here together. We could worship you. We would have the freedom, Lord, 
to express our love openly for what you have done in our lives, for how you've changed us. Lord, that whether you have a doctorate degree or a GED, it doesn't matter. Whether you're from Africa, Asia, America, it doesn't matter. Whether you're from means or poverty, it doesn't matter. Your people are those who call out to you, Abba Father. We pray now as we close and worship to you. I pray a blessing over those who are in here. Lord, I pray that. Deep in your revelation, Jesus. Jesus. Mm-hmm.